What up, Slap Nuts? This is the King of the Mountain, Jeff Jarrett, and you're listening to the Wrestling Geeks Alliance. Yes, you are, and thank you very much, Jeff, Double J, Jeff Jarrett. This is another episode of Wrestling Geeks Alliance, where me and my co-host, Christopher Brother Ray Patton, talk about wrestling. And we've had an off week. Um, we are back, better than ever, and... Um, we're going to be talking about a little event called All In. But before we get to all of that, uh, just to let you know, any, any new listeners, uh, we do the show every, every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Definitely check Geek Vibes Nation out on Facebook, uh, Twitter, Instagram. We have all that. We have our own website at gvnation.com where you can find the latest news in all those categories, as well as a link to all of our formats, whether it be blog talk, iTunes, all that jazz. But now, getting all that aside, let me introduce my amazing co-host, like I said, Mr. Christopher Brother Ray Patton. How are you doing, sir? I am doing wonderful, man. I uh, was off for five days. Today was my first day back to back to work, so... Just getting back in the swing of things, but I'm excited to talk about wrestling as always. How are you, Dane? I'm doing good. And basically, you, you saying getting back in the swing of things. You want you came into work and you wanted to bash your head against the wall 15 times because you were back at work. Is what is what I'm assuming you meant. No, it wasn't that bad. <laughs> Could have been so, worse for sure. <laughs> I guess I just hate my job. Um, and of course wonderful stuff but uh what i do in my daytime either way uh thank you guys for listening um we have we have not i'm not gonna say we have a lot to talk about because we only have pretty much two subjects um but still the things that we have to talk about we're gonna go into depth and um not go in in depth uh go in depth with talk breakdown if you will so to start that off i'd like to go over pretty much our own news category I'm going to be honest with you, if we have some time, we might go over some stuff on Raw and SmackDown. Uh, I actually, like usually, uh, really enjoyed SmackDown this week. It's still a consistent, fun show. Still not, I don't think, in my top three of favorite shows to watch, per se, uh, for a weekly basis. I actually have gotten to the point where I enjoy Impact more, which is uh, crazy, uh, the way that sounds, but it's true. Um, But Raw has just become ridiculously unbearable, and uh, there was one good silver lining on this episode's Raw. Well, it's, it's a weird thing. It, it, it's w- how you look at, uh, look at it um, and what the perspective of the fan viewing it is. But basically, uh, Raw had an interview that was publicized with the heartbreak uh, old man Logan himself, Shawn Michaels. Um, <laughs> and he was going <laughs> to come up and promote the Melbourne uh, Australia show. Uh, with Triple H and uh, the Phenom, The Undertaker, which has been happening. A lot of legends have chimed in that they've had doing in video packages, which I've enjoyed, except for Stone Cold, who doesn't seem like he knows how to do a selfie. It's kind of like he was he was trying to figure out, man, he's Stone Cold Steve Austin. He whooped my ass. So um, he can do whatever he wants. But speaking of Stone Cold, Stone Cold thought there was a good possibility that you know, after all this time, Triple H could finally get a one-up on The Undertaker. Uh, it's been years. Triple H is still, you know, wrestling 
very well. Undertaker's definitely a little bit slower. So you can see as a fan why someone would have that perspective, even though it pretty much was across the board everyone else, you know, Triple H is going to lose, Undertaker's going over. Uh, that was kind of the theme. So out comes HBK. He does his normal thing, uh, strutting away. He looks great, very in shape. You can tell that him at the Performance Center, Chris, He's been really working out, keeping stuff consistent with wrestling, and I think working with these young bucks, uh, not, not, not the literal young bucks, but, you know, your Johnny Garganos, your Tommaso Ciampas, your uh, Velveteen Dreams, your Adam Coles, the guys that he's really been working on and, and talks about it in interviews at length about, you know, his new students, if you will. Um, he, he really, he, it seems like he might beforehand it was no way, not going to happen. He said it for many years. He used to also get kind of, and it, it could be real. I, I don't know. We're, we're, we've got to interpret this this uh, thing in different ways. Uh, but the audience saying one more match just drives him nuts. He went out on his note. It's been a long time. And basically, to wrap things up with Sean, came out, said how he felt, said he agreed with Stone Cold. He thought the Triple H was going to be able to get the Phenom. Uh, finally, then we heard the the gong, which still to this day, my hairs stand up when it's just random out of nowhere, and and, and the Undertaker comes out. Got to experience it live, very amazing moment. Um, Taker comes out, you know, doing the whole phenom thing, you know, talking to him, talking down to Sean, and brought up a very very, you know, they really went dead into Sean's retirement, Sean coming out of retirement. You know, in, in the sense that Sean said he doesn't want to come back, and Undertaker made it abundantly clear that Sean can say that it's out of respect to stipulations of the match, or it's out of respect to the Undertaker, but is it really that, or is it fear? And he basically ended it with saying, I'm going to put your, your friend um, in a body bag or in the, whatever the hell he said, and he goes, if you ever come out of retirement, I'll put you away too. So very weird having those words, basically, you know, th- th- there's part of me that's like, this is nothing. They're just building up shit. Just do it. Sean's not going to be back on for another promo in months. Who knows? You know, they're having Mick Foley on next week, Chris. So he could come out, do the same thing. Hunter comes out. Oh, really? You're underestimating me. Why don't you get in the ring and I'll whoop your ass. Like that could happen. I could definitely see that, but it felt like they were just kind of, you know, going at that, is this itch really possibly mean that Sean can make an in-ring return? And would you really want to see that? Oh, man, uh, in all honesty, it, it seems to me. Itself. What What was that? I said I'm very torn myself. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, in in all honesty, it seems like they're setting up Triple H versus The Undertaker with probably Sean as a manager or in the corner of Triple H and someone in the corner of The Undertaker, probably Mick Foley, I guess. Uh, I don't think this will be a tag match, and I, I honestly don't think Shawn Michaels is coming back for a one-off in Melbourne, Australia. I think if he was going to come back, it would be a big-time event like WrestleMania. Now, this could build to that. Um it's always exciting yeah, to see Shawn Michaels and Triple H in the ring. Um, 
but yeah, if you're asking, do I think it's you know impossible? No, I, I think Sean could probably have one more match if he wanted to. I don't know what the quality would be like uh, with him and Taker in a match together specifically. They, they could do a tag match or something, or something different as just a spot, you know, a spot match on WrestleMania. But it, those two had such great matches. Those two WrestleMania matches specifically, and even outside of WrestleMania, like they're in your in your house match and. Uh, the original Hell in a Cell match between those two. I, I don't know that I really want to have another Shawn Michaels, you know, Undertaker match necessarily, unless they're both going to go as hard as possible into it. But uh, overall, you know, I, I don't. I don't think it's a bad idea. It's to me, this seems more like it's going to be Triple H versus the Undertaker, and probably have some Shawn Michaels spots and a and a Mick Foley spot based on what we know about who is going to be coming next week, spoiler alert um, for those listening. But yeah, that, I mean, that would be my guess of where they're going. And then I wouldn't be, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they try to talk Sean into doing a match with the undertaker of some former fashion at WrestleMania. It would be a good get, especially not knowing if Lesnar is going to come back because they banked on Lesnar being at mania um, and the shows leading up to mania for quite, quite some time. And if he wins the UFC title, I don't necessarily know that he's going to be back for Mania. So it would make sense. It's really weird that this was one of the better told storylines on the entire show. Um, that's a three-hour oh. show. That is that is more of my problem with this. Uh, and if we talk about Raw later, we can get into some of the really bad story stuff. Uh, but yeah, uh, as far as it, you know, I don't necessarily care about seeing a match with Sean and Taker again, just because I have the set matches of Sean and Taker that I go to in my mind. And I know this wouldn't be that quality and I wouldn't expect it to be, but if it's like a one-off thing and he's just going to demolish triple H and we get some crotch chops and some, you know, just them hitting each other with finishers and maybe like a Mr. Sacco moment with Taker, you know, inevitably winning the match because they're doing a big event in Melbourne. I have absolutely no problem. Uh, and it was a cool moment. It's always cool to see Sean be out there and, you know, the bells chime and here comes Taker. They have done it a lot in the past years. Uh, so it does lose its effect a little bit, but it's still, you know, a great Undertaker moment. Anytime the bells chime and, and Sean stands in the ring and, and just sells how scared he looks. So as far as the promo goes, it's one of those weird Undertaker promos, like the, the last few that he's cut for me where, I kind of understand what he's saying, but not really. Look, he's not at full Bray Wyatt, and he's definitely not an ultimate warrior, but he's a little bit less than Broken Matt Hardy in his gibberish. Uh, <laughs> yeah, kind of. Yeah, I, here's the thing, and I mean, I know that some people are going to be mad by this, but I don't need Sean to come back um, at all. I think he proved himself. I personally, I mean, part of me, I didn't get to see Sean's retirement. I saw it years later, you know, when I got back into wrestling. Uh, I wasn't there and present during the, that time period. So, yeah, there was a selfish part of me that would love to see Sean come back. And he does look in great shape. But it's not so much – it's honestly not so much Sean performing with Undertaker if they were to do that at WrestleMania. It's Undertaker. Undertaker couldn't even produce the great – he had to do a short match with John Cena. And Roman Reigns, it was definitely not Roman's fault that Undertaker wasn't able to perform to the level that he normally is. Um, 
you know, I, I just feel like with this, they're emphasizing, and they could just be doing this just to get, you know, people intrigued for the match in Melbourne, Australia. And I'm not saying here's, – here's the difference. If Shawn Michaels gets involved in the match and sweet chin music, say that he either nails Undertaker, causes a loss, or tries to get Undertaker, hits his friend Triple H, that to me makes it seem they are setting up some type of storyline to go forward, and we're going to keep on playing around with this. Um, you know, I just find it strange that we went from Sean saying never again, never again, never again, performance center. Well, you know, there are a couple guys I would love to have a match with, you know, naming Gargano and um, Daniel Bryan doing a student teacher match and naming AJ Styles, obviously, as all matches. Um, and then going from that to, well, what about, a, you know, there was rumors about the tag match and he kind of said that if, if he were to do it, it would be a tag match. And then months later now, you know, Undertaker's basically calling his bluff in the ring. I don't think many people, um, me or or even uh, someone like Brian Alvarez, are looking too deeply into it. It's very intriguing hearing the Undertaker call out Sean for that. If Sean does have this itch and he's going to do it, his whole big thing is what I'm worried about too. I don't want him to tame his legacy. And I don't think that – I think Sean could probably perform better at this age than a majority of fucking wrestlers out there nowadays. Don't even – don't get me started, you know. He might be older, but he I think he still has a lot of – it's, 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 it's obviously the fact that he's always kept, him, kept himself healthy, and the Performance Center has probably got him still – he's in the ring constantly doing stuff. You know, uh, even though it's training, there's still that aspect of it. So if Sean wants to do it, great. The rumor is, and I don't know if it, there's any credibility to it, that WWE is actually looking for two matches with him. Um, if that's the case, there would obviously be some type of match to Undertaker before. It would make the most sense, you know, Sean, Undertaker, WrestleMania. Somehow Sean finally beats Taker. They're both retired and done. I mean, if Undertaker beats them, that seems like overkill. And I think that both of them, if he gets back involved, they should probably, it's to the point where I love Ric Flair, and this is of no disrespect, but Rick was too old back when he retired with Sean, and then he kept on going. And I know that Undertaker takes his time, comes out, picks his matches and stuff like that, but still, at some time as a wrestler, if you're in at least the WWE, and the independents, Terry Funk and Jerry Lawler can keep on fucking wrestling until they're 90, and I have no problem with that, and I love them for it. But when it comes to WWE and be able to, you know, give off a performance, and if that is a big deal to Sean of not tainting his legacy – Maybe two matches would be good, or maybe just one more. The only thing that, like, maybe a pre-match before that, probably with Hunter, I'd be assuming, or or maybe an AJ Styles to do that one match, you know. you think that that would be the Mania match, but if they're doing Taker and him, I think that's going to be the Mania match. But, once again, this is all speculation. We're all, you know, the the people that thought really deeply into this, it was because of the promo. The promo might just be bullshit to kind of put a little bit of life into this Triple H Undertaker thing. But, like I keep on saying, uh, before I pass it to you for any final words, uh, Chris, if you see Sean get in that ring and he causes either one of the guys to lose, and if it's Triple H getting nailed, I think it's going to be an accident, that type of thing, which could even mean more storyline. Then I think that it's very clear Sean's going to be in at least one more match. Do you think that that is a suitable assessment 
Yeah, I, I think that would be a way to go, and it's plausible for sure. I think it's more likely that Kinshawn end up taking out one of each opponent, and then the match just ends naturally is more of my guess. I, I just don't see Sean committing to, especially not to a storyline where he's going to have multiple matches. Um, not to put that idea down for people that are really into it. He, he just hasn't seemed like he's wanted to wrestle for a very, very long time. And maybe someone's changed his mind, but it seems more like it's going to be a one-off appearance like he's done in the past. Him and Mick Foley have both done it in the past together in the same matches. There was the one with uh, New Day, Stone Cold, HBK, and, and Mick Foley. I think it'll be more of something like that. Or when you had Sting versus uh, Triple H at Mania and you had you know, all of DX show up versus the NWO. I, I feel like it's going to be more of something like that just for this Melbourne show, and maybe it carries, it carries into Mania, but if they're going to go that route, I would assume that they're probably just building more story for Triple H versus Taker, and maybe they just do that as Taker's last match. Uh, then you get Triple H on the card, and you get Taker, and they can have a good match together because they both work similar paces in the ring, even at you know Undertaker's old age. That would be more of where I think they're going to go with it. But yeah, if, if he accidentally clips someone, then that would definitely point to you would think a follow-up match. I just don't, I don't even, I don't see them going that route at all. And I completely understand that. And I kind of hope um, that that's the case. Although mark out like a motherfucker, if something happens and they kind of use promos every so often to build something. But I think that you clearly said something uh, that's very true. Sean, when it comes to something, he's got to have matches to build, um, you know, and maybe, Maybe like Undertaker seems to be doing on his like last tour, his greatest hits last tour, if you will, against a couple other people leading up to this mania, or maybe even a little bit longer than that. You know, he's wrapping things up. Maybe Sean wants to come back, do a short tour real quick, see if he still's got it. End of that mania, and that's it. Uh, we know plenty of opponents that would work well with him in the ring, um, and some guys that w- would be great people that we, you know, a lot of fans would love to see him go against if he wants to do that. Um, you know, but honestly, I know that everyone's going to say AJ Styles is the one that makes the most sense. I know a lot of people are going to say Daniel Bryan or Seth Rollins or even with NXT, maybe a Johnny Gargano or Adam Cole or something to that extent. I I really think that if he's going to be working with someone outside of like, if he's working with a new guy, it would be AJ. Outside of that, it's much more of a chance to see Undertaker, Triple H, or even Chris Jericho people that he's been in the ring with, um, you know, that's going to make him look like a million bucks. With Undertaker, it's kind of scary, but, like, where he can have a good match and, and he can kind of rely more on the concept of, you know, the fact that they have chemistry together and they know each other's style. So we'll have to wait and see what happens. I wouldn't get your hopes up. I think that that's kind of the sentiment that Chris was basically trying to say. Um, I understand as wrestling fans, we speculate, and, you know, someone – the person that's considered the best in-ring performer of all time with Shawn Michaels, um, you know, in the sense of, of, of an arsenal of moves, being able to adapt to pretty much any style, put on a great match with whoever, uh, great at selling, uh, unless he's going to get Hulk Hogan and he's pissed off. Um, you know, everything like that, yeah. A lot of us fans want to see that happen. But also think about probably arguably the greatest overall wrestler and probably one of the greatest in-ring performers also, Ric Flair, how far past the meter he went, um, 
you know, and even now to this day, he says that he wished he would have, he loved what he did with Lethal, um, and he really enjoyed that. Uh, and we'll talk more about Jay soon, but he kind of wished that he ended it, you know, with Sean uh, for his legacy, and he probably should have ended it before then. You know, I don't want to talk on behalf of wrestlers of what they need to do. I've, I'm not a part of the business in that sense. I'm just saying, personally, the body can take only so much, and when you are a fraction of what you used to be, it's very, you, you can see it. You get exposed, especially on huge stages like the WWE, you know, premiere primarily. So who knows? I kind of hope it doesn't happen and maybe we get a little bit of storyline with it. Even if Sean maybe does just give Undertaker a super kick, maybe it's just like an FU. Then Undertaker takes him out, you know, the next night on Raw and then Triple H gets rubbed up. It's, it, I, I don't know if I need Sean back in the ring. I'm kind of happy of where we are. It would be great to see him go against certain people, but in a sense, it would have been better to see it back when he was 10 years ago, not even really in his prime, back when he was producing great matches right before he retired, or back in his prime as well. But you guys get what I'm saying. Um, I love Shawn Michaels. He's my favorite wrestler of all time. Um, He really is. So whatever he decides to do, I will support. I just don't want to – I just hope that money – if anything, Chris, to close things off, I hope that it – if he wants to get back in the ring, it's because he's been working and he's got the itch for it. And it's not because Vince keeps on upping the money until Sean can't say no, basically, which Vince has got a lot of money. So who knows? Got anything else to say? I know I gave you closing statements before and I just rambled on again, but we, we don't have a hell of a lot to talk about. I mean, all in's going to be a lot of fun to talk about, but this is the main news story. There would be a, a lot of reason to have Sean do this considering you're not going to get Lesnar in the UFC until after January, January 8th. Um, because he has to test. He has to be put into the testing pool for that long. I think it's like six months or something. So depending on what happens, his match may be right before Mania and he wouldn't even be available because he's going to be training. So having a marquee match, a, a HBK or maybe a possible return of The Rock, or something like that would be big for Mania. And like you said, if Vince throws enough money at it, maybe it will happen. I think that he's probably getting paid a pretty nice wage to be down there at the uh, Performance Center and having his hands in NXT a bit. I, I, I still, at the end of the day, I still feel like this just builds to Triple H versus Taker again. Um, yeah. But yeah. It's the end of the end of the end of an era. <laughs> and I, I, Shawn Michaels is definitely in my top ten favorite wrestlers, maybe top five, depending. Um, I've seen the matches of Shawn Michaels I want to see, and I'm fine with him just staying off into the sunset and helping people like Velveteen Dream and and Adam uh, Adam Cole Bebe down in NXT. I'm I'm perfectly fine with that. If he wants to show up and super kick someone every once in a while, then by God, that's awesome. But yeah, I, I don't necessarily need a match. I think that we both agree on that, um, but we'll have we'll have to see. We'll have to wait and find out. I'm sure that more is going to. This is good for them as far as getting me interested more to watching the Australia show because now mainly because of this match. Which honestly, you can keep on talking about it, but I think the end of the era match should have ended the three of their careers, or at least 
Brock should have been the end for Undertaker, in my opinion. Uh, but, you know, Triple H, he's in shape. He knows what he's doing. Sean retired before that. Undertaker's still a very intimidating force. So I guess these guys know their body better than I do. I just hope that's not Vince's checkbook that's causing them to think about, yeah, screw it, let's keep on going. Either way, let's go to the main thing at hand. Um, All In was Saturday night. And even though, as I bitched on the uh, the broadcast uh, several times, I had to go to a wedding Saturday night. And I love my friend Lauren. And, you know, she picked a weekend because she knew that a lot of people would have that available. And I understand completely. Um, but, you know, just from the fact that Dragon Con had Sting and Ricky Steamboat and uh, Ric Flair Friday night, and then all in was Saturday night. Sadness. Sadness of what I could have done. But it's okay. I somehow stayed off my cell phone, um, and Sunday endured to get home, hung over as hell off of wine. Bad story with that that Chris knows about that I told him before this. Uh, either way, and finally be able to watch it, and I really did enjoy it. Um, so we're going to start pretty much with the beginning with this zero-hour event that they had um, on uh, WGN America, which is a Pretty good network. Um, I think it's a local station, 100% positive. It might be one of those, like, extra primary local stations. I don't know about how. I don't have cable. Cut the cord a long time ago, so don't, don't challenge me on that. But either way, I was able to watch this. Um, and uh, it had two matches. Probably should have had three. Not the first one on the fucking thing. Anyways, we'll get to that. But uh, the first match of Zero Hour featured a tag match between SoCal Uncensored at least Frankie Kazarian and Scorpio Sky against the Briscoe brothers, Jay and Mark. Um, kind of, I, I've been watching Ring of Honor. It seems like they switch roles because SoCal Uncensored, they're kind of cool heels, but they're still heels. And they were definitely like, you know, everyone was into them. And then Briscoes, which were definitely baby face the last time I saw them. So whatever, whatever they want to do, it's fine. The whole thing about All In was this was just a love letter to professional wrestling and had all the indie promotions, um, you know, between even this, even PWG, but impact, um, new Japan, triple H to an extent, Lucha underground and mainly ring of honor, new Japan, really helping out different creative forces involved, uh, for this whole entire thing. So they kind of switched up matches. Certain things happen that probably would not normally happen. People hugged after matches, which I know drives some wrestling fans crazy, but just get the fuck over it. Um, but going to this match, I thought it was a good match, Chris, to start out. It was just a standard tag match. Uh, during the match, I think Jay performed a, a Jade Driller on Kazarian, and Mark and uh, Mark got the elbow drop on Kazarian, but that pinfall attempt was broken. They went, they basically ended with like a modified springboard uh, Doomsday device on Kazarian, uh, but he reversed into a power slam by grabbing Mark to win the match. Uh, fun tag match. Good way, I think, to start off the whole entire thing. Nothing too memorable. Um, I'm not going to say, like, this is your TV show, but or TV match. But, um, you know, it just it wasn't anything, like, too crazy. It was just something to kind of, like, get it started and gave us a great standard tag team match to start off with. How would you like it, Chris? Well, first of all, I want to say I thought the production overall – was it, which was something I was worried about, was was actually pretty well done uh, from the beginning to the end of this thing. So I just want to put that out. For people that 
may have been worried about watching this because they thought the production would be a little lackluster. I think you can put those worries aside. You can also catch this, I believe, on New Japan World streaming and Ring of Honor streaming, if I'm not mistaken, at this point. Um, I thought this match was, was a good tag team match. It wasn't anything incredible. I thought Kazarian looks really great after he got the hot tag. I think, you know, starting out the match, it was very just a standard tag match, something you would see on WWE, just your very basic tag match. And then Kazarian came in on the hot tag. And the finish at the end, I thought, uh, you know, Sky looks super impressive. Uh, it was a cool little spot with a power slam, like you said. I didn't dislike the match. It, it was fine. I thought it was a pretty good tag match. I'd probably watch it again. Um, but, yeah, nothing nothing really to write home about. It, it was definitely some, what you would want out of an opening match, especially considering the amount of people that they had in the next match we're about to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. I can definitely see that. And uh, the next match we're about to talk about that you were just alluding to was the over-budget Battle Royal. Um, I'm going to be honest with you, and I, I think that Chris said the same thing the last time we talked about this. I'm not that big a fan of Battle Royals. Even Royal Rumbles to a lot of time. I mean, I liked this last year uh, because of all the surprises, and I think that they have, uh, with the Rumble at least, something that most Battle Royals don't have, which is that top, once it gets to the 10 count, Everyone goes crazy, uh, unless it's on an Iron Man match, guys, and then you shut the fuck up. Uh, but either way, uh, you know, you come to the ring, and there's that presentation, and then there's different surprises. Well, they didn't have that, and like I said, Rumbles can get boring. Battle Royals can really get boring. I thought they actually had a pretty damn good Battle Royal. I thought it was fun. Um, I loved seeing – you knew that a lot of those guys, especially the Legends – well, no, maybe I shouldn't say the Legends. Uh, some of the other guys – Probably didn't get paid, you know, because it went from 15 to over 30, uh, like the night of, basically. So I'm assuming a lot of ones were like, hey, I'll be in it, blah, 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 you know, and and that's how they work things out. Everyone got a pretty cool spot, you know, Moose did, Tommy Dreamer did, everyone got to lay out the stuff. Bully Ray, who's been a primary villain of Ring of Honor lately, going on a tear against people like Cheeseburger, who I can't stand, and Flip Gordon, um, you know, there was that whole thing. Actually, it started off with, which, which is, uh, you know, some, we found out that, that uh, uh, Chico El Luchador, who is another uh, character that, um, oh, man, why can't I think of his, his name? He was in the damn Battle Royal. Uh, Rocky Romero, that's one of his, uh, you know, alter egos. Well, he was in there, and so was that. So it's like, obviously, wheels start turning, huh, because he gets flat and taken out in a table. But they do such a good job of getting back in the match and having people keep on going. You have badass Billy Gunn and his son, Austin Gunn, uh, doing their thing. Um, everyone, the old guys are kind of potatoing each other until the next spot, but all the younger guys are really having fun. That Jordan late, uh, girl, I can't remember. She took a kick in the face, uh, but she was a badass. Her kind of, uh, was it Jordan Grace maybe? Uh, I, I apologize if I don't remember her name. It was the first exposure, but it was a good exposure to her. Um, but yeah, just seeing a lot of, you know, uh, I'm a big Brian Cage fan. I think he's awesome. Them two having their little square off and her doing the, uh, the squat down, uh, and then giving the pile driver into the, uh, the turnbuckle, you know, just everyone got a chance to really do some cool stuff. And cheeseburger was there. There was some little gentleman, uh, Marco Strutt, I believe is his name. I really, Chris, I fucking thought 
that it was uh, Lord Maxwell, um, you know, um, <laughs> which we call Matt Hardy's son ran into the fucking ring. It was like, who the fuck? He like, he's like the size of that one um, Mexican luchador. I can't remember what his name is, Optimido or some shit like that. Uh, he's like half the size of Rey Mysterio Jr., at least. And, uh, you know, Bully Ray was a great villain in it. He was, we all thought, was the last guy in. And then El Chico gets up off the ground, comes in, takes off his mask, flips Gordon, and takes out Bully Ray. He's going to be in the main event against Jay Lethal. Uh, Cole Cabana was also fun in it. Like I said, Tommy Dreamer. There was a lot of great legends. And that's the thing is that it paid a lot of homage to the newer, you know, Ring of Honor talent slash Impact talent mainly that was in there. And then also some of the older guys get a chance to, like, you know, do their thing and hang with the, the, the younger talent. How did you like this battle royal, Chris? I, th- I thought it was a fun battle royal, and like you said, I I don't get super excited about them. I I just really don't. They're it's an old trump, so to speak. Like it's a uh, an homage to the days that were in the '70s when a battle royal was a big deal, and it's just really they've been kind of driven into the ground by WWE, and that's probably why I look at it the way I do, in all honesty, uh, because they're not really for anything. And this one was for at least a title shot, so that gave it a little bit of. Uh, a different aspect. It was cool to see Flip Gordon. You know, I kind of assumed that uh, Chico El Luchador would end up being <laughs> Flip Gordon towards the end with the uh, with the unmasking, simply just because of how they built this thing up and, and he wasn't on the rest of the card. One thing I will say is right off the bat, they didn't tell you everyone that was in the match. So it's like a wrestler that I wasn't familiar with was uh, Marco Stunt, for instance, who you were talking about earlier, or Jordan uh, Jordan Grace, who you also talked about earlier. I'm not super familiar with either of them. So if I and if I was watching this for the first time, if I wasn't a Ring of Honor fan, um, and and kind of paid attention to the indie uh, the indie scene, you might not know who like Cheeseburger was, for instance, or even you know someone like Trent Beretta. If you were a WWE fan coming into this, or a New Japan fan coming into this, for instance, so that, I think that was one thing they kind of missed out on at the beginning was to just run down a list of the entrants. Um, overall, I thought it was fun. There was a lot of surprises. Bully Ray played, I think, the best heel you could play in a battle royal. I think he played that part really, really well. There were some great spots, like you said, by uh, specifically there were some good spots. By Tommy Dreamer. I, I like Tommy Dreamer, obviously, wearing the polka dots. He's been doing that for a while. It was cool to see the zombie princess, Jimmy Jacobs. I uh, hadn't seen him in a while. I know he's been doing indie stuff since he got let go <laughs> from WWE, so that he's was cool. He's He's a character. Yeah, he, he's always been a, a character that I really liked as far as the indie scene goes. So it was cool seeing him in general. And there's just a lot of guys that it was neat to see, you know, mix up a little bit. But at the end of the day, it's still a battle royal. I think they added some neat things to it that made it entertaining. Uh, it's not, if you were going to watch one of the matches from the show, this definitely wouldn't be the one that I would recommend. As far as the show overall, if you're going to watch like two or three matches, this would probably be on the, towards the bottom of the list. But it, it was fun as far as just a, here's a battle royal with some legends and some indie guys and Ring of Honor guys. Absolutely. absolutely. And I think they tried. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I don't know a lot about um, Ian Riccoboni, but he was a Richie Boni, if I'm pronouncing that wrong. Apologize. Uh, it sounds Italian, which I should be able to naturally just get. Um, but uh, him and Ex- – well, Excalibur is actually PWG. 
Ian specifically, you know, with or without Colt Cabana is Ring of Honor's um, main, you know, broadcaster. And I think that most of the time during, since they didn't introduce everyone in the Battle Royal, maybe because of time constraints or whatever, he was treating the audience a lot of times like they knew everyone. And, you know, with Marco Stunt, who's someone maybe that Excalibur would have known, I wish they would have emphasized and kind of like gave us a little bit more detail on everyone. Um, Cause I did agree with you. I had to look up a lot of names, but maybe that was a point to an extent because a lot of wrestlers that I had no idea about uh, ones that I still probably won't care about. like Marco, um, But ones that I really did like, like Jordan, they were able to, uh, you know, kind of introduce me to him by me forcing myself to learn the fucking knowledge myself, but that's okay. Um, either way, let's kind of talk about this, a little bit about the, uh, before we go into the main event, let's um, go into, you know, some of the commentators. So for the commentators, uh, for the most part, uh, Excalibur, who, like I said, works for PWG, and he works for other different indie promotions, uh, some in Britain, um, from what he said, at least. Um, and then there was Ian, who's Ring of Honor's primary uh, guy, along with Colt Cabana. Um, Don Callis, which is great because Don is not only New Japan, uh, they're, uh, you know, one of their guys that works with Kevin Kelly, uh, not so much anymore because he also is the main booker and one of the guys that is in control of impact along with being their announcer, along with Josh Matthews. Um, and then they had Tanel Dashwood, who is, uh, what's her name? Um, uh, Emelina or, um, oh man, I can't remember her WWE name. The one that just got let go was from Australia. Uh, doesn't matter. And Mandy Leon. Uh, that they came out for the women's match. And then um, I didn't know Brent Tearing. He apparently he came out for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship match. Good friends of Dusty Rhodes. Uh, apparently called, well, I'm going to believe him, obviously, called Cody's first match ever in professional wrestling. And now get to call this. So he made a big deal of it. You know, I'm not saying that JR had to come up there or anything like that. I, I kind of wish that Kevin Kelly, who was at the the thing, if they, it must have been hard to coordinate this, Chris. But I kind of wish that Kevin Kelly or even Tony Schiavone gets to call at least a match. Um, I think play-by-play, they're two of my favorites. I think that they're just very good, and they don't have, like, like Ian. And, I mean, Don Callis kind of kept him on his toes because I love Don Callis for that. It seems like Kevin's able to, to handle that side of Don. Like, there's a lot of times where Ian was trying to say, like, Excalibur and, and Don are such great wrestlers so they would know this. Don was like, will you quit trying to get us over? We are both mediocre wrestlers. And I just, like, lost – I laughed my ass off. Um, but also we had Earl Hepner was uh, one of the uh, referees, which was really cool. Jerry Lynn, and then later on Tiger Torrey, which we'll get into his uh, efforts as being a ref. Uh, so you had the, the world's fastest referee uh, for three count with Earl Hepner and the world's slowest referee with Tiger Torrey. Then Jerry Lynn, who uh, was <laughs> for this first match. If you want to make a comment about any of the uh, – you know, uh, the personnel basically uh, involved in uh, All In. I, I think, you know, they had a bunch of commentators. I don't necessarily know that's the route I would have went, but I understand why they went that route. Uh, just trying to give everybody spotlight, everyone that's been part of the business for a while and obviously have their talents. I, I'm kind of like you. Probably would have stuck with maybe Kevin Kelly and Don Callis for the majority of the show at least. Uh, as far as referees go, I thought it was really cool to see Jerry Lynn. Obviously Jerry Lynn's not going to be out there having a match, but it was, it was a lot of fun, especially with him being part of, you know, the Christopher Daniels and Stephen DeMille match. I think it added a, a, something a little special for people that grew up watching Jerry Lynn and his 
different appearance appearances in pretty much every wrestling federation you could think of during the time. Um, so it was, it was nice just to even just see someone like Jerry Lynn just do like basically ref, you know, um, Earl Hebner being there was cool. Obviously there, there was just a lot of really neat stuff. It It's weird because you got to look at the show. There's nothing, there's never been anything really like this. Maybe in the eighties when they did, was it all-star brawl? With a with uh, was it AWA and some of the Mid South promotions? Uh, was it Super Bowl? Is that what I'm thinking of? Like the original Super so. Brawls? Yeah. So like the original Super Brawls where they would get together just different federations and or all, all whatever the All Star Brawls were that they did in baseball stadiums oh, and stuff. Chris Sean Mooney was there interviewing. He only got two interviews, but that was pretty <laughs> cool for them to have a. Throwback like that in there. Yeah, so but yeah, just, I, it was as far as like it, with as many people as they had, it's just it's so weird because it definitely reminded me of uh, the things that AWA used to do back in the day, where they would wrestle other territories in, in baseball stadiums, and it would be a get together. I can't think of the specific pay per view right now. I'm just having a complete brain fart, but it's the first time in a long time I've seen anything like this, where it's just here's all of the different announcers and here's some different referees and here's all of these different wrestlers. And it's, it was just really neat. The the whole show in general, you know? Yeah, I definitely enjoyed it. All I could say is like, after a while, I think that Ian was just getting on my nerves. So maybe that's where my mind was just going. I just wish that him leaving and Kevin Kelly stepping in when they started having matches were involved people that were mainly new Japan, like the, I guess the Adam page, through no, I guess you would have to have him for Jay Lethal for the Ring of Honor one, but it doesn't matter. Maybe the last four matches that were all per- primarily New Japan talent, uh, Kevin Kelly and Don Callis could have called. I would have enjoyed that. Um, nothing. I'm not trying to be mean against Ian. He just kind of he does have ballistic against on my nerves. It's, it's very much uh, not like Michael Cole so much, but um, the guy that's the Michael Cole clone that's on uh, on SmackDowns um, and. None of them are as bad as Coach, but uh, Todd Phillips is who I was thinking of. Either way, let's get away from that conversation and kind of go into our primary matches. Um, so the first match that we had uh, was a match with two talents, one I know, um, as Son of Havoc. Part, he just was a part of the uh, the triple man tag in Lucha Underground. Uh, Matt Cross, who apparently is an indie darling, didn't really know a lot about him. I knew that he was on the revived tough enough, which I watched. Um, and he kind of went into detail about his past. So I guess I did know about him. Um, so, you know, the guy's been in the industry for a very long time. Um, and, uh, had this opening match. I didn't really realize that, that anyone announced this, uh, MJF was the opponent that he went against, uh, MJF just by, you know, visually his cockiness, how he just was like, he, Apparently he tries to be that heel to get people to hate him. Like he, that that's really, I guess it's a heel's job really, but he's trying to go for more old school, you know? So I guess I got kind of like his cockiness, kind of like a Ted DiBiase flavor, even an EC3 flavor from him, but his in-ring work was pretty good. These guys both look good in the ring. Um, and I think Cross executed in that, what's it? Shooting star press, I believe to get the match on MGF. Very, very weird. Everyone thought Cross was going to lose, but the, uh, Younger guy get over, but no, they fought, they gave the indie darling himself a little bit of a, a, a rub. Uh, 
My whole thing is, what the fuck was this match doing on the card? Later on, as we talk, there's three incidents that caused the main event to be, I don't know, I think 15 minutes shorter than it was what it was supposed to. Uh, this could have been one of those things where you, you clipped it off and uh, put both guys in the battle royal or try to, you know, uh, put it in the zero hour. Um, like I said, I don't, I don't even think they really promoted this match until like the day of. Just seemed kind of strange. It was a good match. It just seemed kind of unnecessary, especially hindsight looking at what they had to play with later on. Chris, what did you think about this match? I thought it was a good opening match. I mean, it it, it kind of was a lot of spots, obviously, uh, with these two. But I, I enjoyed – there was a pile driver spot where MGF hit like a – I don't know, it was an insane-looking pile driver where he used the ropes towards the end um, right before, you know, Cross made his comeback and hit the shooting star press. I, it was a fun match. It, I think it's one that you probably could have lived without if you needed more time, but I also understand why you would have both these guys on the card. So I, I didn't have a problem with it, and I thought it was a good opening match, especially, you know, mostly just being a more of a high-flying match back and forth um, with Cross just getting the crowd into it. And earlier, by the way, it's Super Clash. Super Clash 85 at Kaminsky Park is what I was thinking of. So, well, dude, to, uh, I don't not... blame you for not remembering the name. Do you know how many Clash, you know, there, there's been? <laughs> we're fucking wrestling pay-per-views. There's been a lot, so that's, that's understandable. And I'll be honest with you, this next match, and I'm not trying to talk down. I love Stephen Amell. I mean, I know why they didn't go with this match first. I can just say that. Um, you know, with Christopher Daniels and Stephen Amell, they would have had to shake up the card a little bit. And obviously, I think that Matt Cross had a better match with MJF than Daniels did with Amell in all actuality. Uh, but let's go into that match a little bit. Um, next, Christopher Daniels faced Stephen Amell. Um, you know, they did a good job of setting stuff up, especially that table. I like when a match sets up a table and they go to it a couple times and it doesn't happen. And then when they get to it, it kind of comes out of more out of nowhere. Not so much with this because you knew where Steven was going. And I will say this about Steven Amell. I'm a huge fan of Arrow, huge fan of his. I love what he does charity wise, you know, his, his uh, fuck cancer um, charity and all the other ones that he uh, started. I think he's a great guy. And I think that he's athletic as shit. And as far as celebrity wrestlers, uh, you know, I'm, I can't remember how good Lawrence Taylor was, but everyone, that's like a, that's like a, Lawrence Taylor was really good. Uh, so I don't know if he's that level, but he's better than a lot of other guys. This is his third match, first singles match. First match he had was a tab match with uh, Puck, a.k.a. Neville, uh, going against Cody, which is where he met him, and I believe Nate Barrett. Um, and then his second one was with the Young Bucks against, um, and he did some springboards in that. And, you know, the guy did a coast-to-coast. Um, he definitely was able to do some other stuff. It's just certain wrestling dynamics. Um, Daniels had a couple times he, was, he had some problems picking up, and it would look like Daniels was the one who was fucking up. No, it was actually Steven who didn't go with him, if you will, so he had to basically kind of deadlift him. I remember a certain situation. I can't remember exactly what they were doing. But um, – I'm not trying to give Steven a bunch of shit or anything like that. I'm just being honest that it was, it was a good match for celebrity and Christopher Daniels did everything he, he could, but it was not the greatest match. And I think Steven Amell 
but he was serious about this since he does a lot of his own stunts. He's done Ninja Warrior, you know, the whole entire course. He is a badass. He legitimately can run down a ramp, jump up in the air, and hit a bullseye with an arrow several times. I've seen him do it on his training videos, so it's nothing against him athletically. And I really like that they got the actor to play Prometheus from last uh, season of Arrow to come out with him. I thought that was kind of cool. He looked awesome. Um, really looking forward to this season of Arrow, and he looked cut as hell. We still have no idea and have not seen him and Adam Page in the same situation. I'm just saying that. All you had to do was put on a wig and go against uh, Joey Janela later. So I'm still fucking convinced they're the same guy. Um, but, yeah, it just it's, – it, it's whatever. Uh, he got the best moonsault ever uh, on ML to win the match. After the match, two shook hands. A lot of people pit, got pissed off about that. How the fuck is it that wrestling fans get mad about sportsmanship when that's supposed to be something that we ask most boxers, MMA fighters, and other athletes to do is to show sportsmanship? But if you do it, like this next match with the women, Chris, in the ring, you know, you shake hands or you hug or you embrace, like you're shitting on the business. It's so fucking dumb. I don't get it. We're in 2018, people. Either way, how did you feel about this match, Mr. Arrow? And well, generally with a handshake, I mean, generally with a handshake, you're not shaking a heel like Christopher Daniels' hand. Like, Christopher Daniels is mainly a heel, Stephen Emile, uh, Mill, obviously a babyface. So, you know, the, the in-crowd reaction in the arena, I would expect to be boo <laughs> Christopher Daniels and, and Stephen Emile shaking hands just because of their characters alone. I didn't have a problem with that. Uh, as far as the match goes, I thought it was pretty good, especially considering this is a Mills, what, third match ever. Um, yeah. I liked Lynn throwing it back in, not like throwing a Mill back in, not letting it end on a count out. And I also liked that they didn't just go the easy route of having Stephen and Mill just win. Um, you know, Daniels won the match, which was kind of cool in itself. Uh, you would think that you're going to bring in a celebrity, the celebrity's going to win because it's generally how it works, but they didn't go that route. And, uh, Overall, I mean, I liked the match. I thought it was fun. Nothing too crazy. There was a, a pretty cool table spot, you know. Um, I don't know. Was, I, I enjoyed it. It wasn't it's not a ton of memorable moments for me. Other than Lynn, like I said, not letting the match end. Um, almost fighting Daniels. You kind of just set up the finish of the match. But uh, I enjoyed it, and there were a lot of fans that that seemed to enjoy it who were in the building. And it was funny when they chanted Broken Arrow when Amel got put through a table. So that was <laughs> that was pretty great. Uh, hey, I'll give but, that to Steven, Chris. He took <laughs> he, he was coast to coast, and he took a gnarly bump through a table. And that guy has a lot on the line. He's still filming this season of Arrow. So, you know, <laughs> doing that, I definitely give some credit to. This is the second time he's done he's through a table. He went through it on the Young Bucks match, too, previous to this. So, I, I yeah. definitely give him a lot of credit. I'm just not going to act like it's 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 a great match when it was a good celebrity match, basically. And Christopher Daniels I, I, did a hell of a job making it that to me. Yeah, I would say this is one of the best celebrity matches, and the only one that I could think that really comes near it as far as just a celebrity. And he's not even really a celebrity. He was an NFL player. Was that D'Angelo Williams match, that first match he had? Yeah. So hopefully we'll see him back. Uh, I know he said he was coming back to wrestling back in uh, on July 2nd. He was talking about coming back and wrestling for Impact. So 
we'll see. That hasn't happened yet. But outside of D'Angelo Williams, Stephen Amell is by far probably the best celebrity wrestler who wasn't a wrestler before. And then, you know, like The Rock, for instance, I guess you could call it the best celebrity wrestler. <laughs> but you can't really count The Rock. You know what I mean? He's better than David Green. Um, remember that guy that was like an ex-Packers that was like best friends with Hulk Hogan and WCW? I didn't even know who the fuck he was. Uh, well, like Mongo, Mongo McMichael, <laughs> like D'Angelo oh, Williams God. looks like the greatest wrestler of all time compared to Mongo McMichael. <laughs> so, so good job, Steven. You're definitely in the category, you know, up there with D'Angelo Williams and probably Lawrence Taylor, and you're not at the level of a uh, Mongo McMichael or Dennis Rodman. So, and all, hey, all things, all things considering, you should, he should be, should make the WWE Hall of Fame at some point. Since he's probably he's the best right. celebrity wrestler, you could definitely put him in hey, there. They need to get Cindy Lauper in the celebrity wing before they think about him. But I do agree with you. Eventually, you know, the Green Arrow should take his mount in the Hall of Fame. All right. Has Snooki uh, has has Snooki been inducted though? No, that's, that's no. The real question. Chris, you're right. We're not talking about Snooki joining the fucking WWE Hall of Fame, even the celebrity wing. <laughs> oh God, she can make out Donnie. Um, she was Trish's tag partner, man. <laughs> oh, God. She she looks like – never mind. I don't want to say that. All right, so Tessa Blanchard, <laughs> Chelsea Green, a.k.a. Um, Laura, Laura Van Ness from Impact, uh, Madison Rain and Brick Baker face up in a four-corner survival match. Um, basically, it came down to, like, the, uh, the climax. Blanchard performed a hammerlock DDT on Green to win the match. After the match – the the four embraced. I will say that I thought we've kind of talked about this before. It's nothing against Masonry. She's she's a good in ring hand. She just doesn't really she doesn't do anything for me past that. But Baker was good. The people that stood out in this match were Impact Women's Champion Tessa Blanchard and Chelsea Green. To me, both of them are stars in the making. Tessa's already a star. And she's like twenty three years old. Uh, Chelsea also did the woo woo woo, which she's going she's uh, going out with uh, Zach Ryder, so that was kind of cool. Uh, and she just came off with a lot of charisma, like she always has, uh, kind of doing a little bit of a variation of the Lauren Van Ness character, you know, flipped her way. I thought that you know the performance by the, by all the women in this match was good, and the commentating by Emma. Uh, was an add-on. I don't know the other the other lady that was involved. Uh, both of them are trying to get the Ring of Honor title, I guess. Uh, that was like a whole thing going on with them and Ian. Um, but the ending was fucking weird. Uh, it seemed like someone slipped up. I don't know if the ref, like, what, like it looked like it was supposed to be, the ladies were supposed to break up the pen bes- between uh, Blanchard and Green, and they didn't get to it in time or something. It just looked wonky as shit and out of nowhere. Uh, afterwards, the four of them embraced. I didn't have a problem with that. Once again, I'm not one of those fucking stingy fans. It looks like the fans in the arena didn't give a shit either. And uh, I really, like I said, enjoyed. Britt Baker was good. Uh, Madison Rain was fine. I know she's going to be in the May Young tournament. It's pretty impressive. They're talking about it. She did uh, go after the Impact Championship, filmed the May Young tournament, and uh, went for the Ring of Honor Women's Championship. Uh, the the women of honor, whatever, within the same month. Um, so that's pretty impressive. I know she's been in the game for a while. She just, I don't really care. Chelsea and, and Tessa stood out. Chris, how did you like this match? 
I actually thought it was very enjoyable. Uh, I tend to agree with you. I think the standouts were probably Tessa Blanchard and Chelsea Green, but I was already a fan of both of them. I will say Britt Baker did a lot of selling in this match for other people. Um, Outside of those, like, she hit, like, two or three sling blades kind of in the middle of the match. I don't remember her getting a ton of offense. Uh, There was, like, you know, she hit some sling blades and I think, like, one super kick for a near fall. But outside of that, she was pretty much selling the entire rest of the time which is not a bad thing. It's just she kind of fell into that position. I'm still not a fan of Madison Rain at all. Um, and I honestly, I, I, I'm just not. Uh, but overall, you know, I thought the match was pretty fun. It was a good women's four-way match and probably a good lead-up to what was coming afterwards. Let's, let's say that. Um, but yeah, I, I, the finish was a little wonky, like you said. Um, also, not a huge fan of the Canadian Destroyer as a move in general. I get it looks cool, but it just—I don't know. Just I've never been a fan it of that move. <laughs> yeah, like once you see it once, it's kind of like a one-trick pony, and you're like, oh, not a huge fan of it. Uh, outside of that, I thought it was a fun match, and all, all I think all of the the women in this match did really well. Like I said, obviously I have some favor- like favoritism for the two standouts as far as what I thought were the two standouts. But uh, I-, I also think, you know, they all performed uh, well for the time that they were given in the match itself and uh, what they were able to accomplish. It, it was nice that the crowd kind of gave them a good reaction towards the end of that match. So. Good times all around. Absolutely. All right, next we had the NWA uh, World Heavyweight Championship match, Nick Aldis defending against Cody. Um, This match, I guess this is the exact definition of uh, big fight feel, the way that they presented it, the way that they did it. Uh, First you had uh, Miss Brandy who, my God, like I have to say that she is one of the most beautiful women on the the planet. Uh, She comes out from her music and she introduces her, Husband, Cody, who's in the back, he's coming towards the ring, you know, very much like a UFC or a boxing fight. And you have his dudes. You've got Dom Dallas Page, uh, his, one of his dad's best friends, uh, knew him for years, helped train him. Tommy Dreamer, knew him for years, uh, huge Dusty fan. They've known uh, Cody for a long time. Glacier, which I didn't know had a relationship back when Cody was younger and he was in WCW because his dad helped him out to get started there. And then... Uh, Brandy's father and his brother-in-law, I believe. I don't remember who the other guy was. Maybe his, his stepfather. Maybe it was his stepfather. We'll just go with that. I don't think it's his stepfather because I'm pretty sure Dusty was you know, married to his mother until the I, – I don't know who the other guy was. But either way, they were all coming to the ring. They all present it. Um, you know, and then Nick Aldis comes out. He's got – the other guys kind of look have more like track suits and everything. Um, you know, and Nick Aldis comes out with – ex-NWA champion Tim Storm, multi- multiple uh, ex-NWA champion Jeff Jarrett, which is kind of funny because when Nick was Magnus, uh, Jeff Jarrett got him to start there but also fired him. So uh, cool to see Nick Aldis say something about it um, at something later on, basically stating that that might be the case, but, you know, if anything, he feels like he should forgive and forget when it comes to stuff. Showed a lot of humbleness, which was nice. I didn't know who the, the fuck the guy with the red gloves was, and then there was Sean Davari, and they were all w- with nice suits and stuff like that coming out with Nick Aldis. 
This is a very old school NWA styled match. This is something that you would see on World Championship Wrestling back in the mid '80s. Um, very much, which I think is what they were trying to do. What what Billy Corgan, you know, using Tim Storm and mostly Nick Aldis with his series Ten Pounds of Gold, which if you guys don't watch it, I would definitely check it out. It's a really cool documentary about the progression of the NWA champion. And now getting this with Cody, and I think Nick and Aldis are, you know, he said he tweeted out, um, "I'll see you soon again, Cody," something like that. So I think this is going to be a series of matches um, between them. But we kind of talked about this, Chris, in which. It seems like the NWE Championship, especially now, given the fact that we see that all the promotions were working together, especially Ring of Honor with this, um, it might be a traveling title that goes between different places, as small as something like uh, an MLW to a PWG, all the way big enough to maybe even like a Ring of Honor, you know, kind of pretending and and mocking the territory system in a way, Uh, especially with the fact that Cody won it. But uh, within the match... You know, it was very back and forth. Uh, they were having a good match, and then Nick fell to the outside. Cody ran, jumped up on the uh, the top ropes, went to basically, I'm, I'm assuming, give him like an, either a, a jumping clothesline or a double axe handle, and Nick Aldis came with an elbow um, strike right to his head. Cody goes down. Earl Hefner, who was the referee, we talked about that earlier, uh, I hate them doing the X thing because now none of us will take it seriously if it ever happens with wrestling because they, they seem, oh, they know about this. So maybe they have a new symbol. Maybe they flip themselves in the dick three times to fucking say he's hurt. I have no idea. But, you know, Earl Hefner puts out the X. DDP comes out. That's when I knew, okay, I don't think something really happened. Uh, you know, Sean Navari comes very shortly after that saying, telling Earl, like, what the hell are you doing? Let's get, the, you know, count them out. Let's get the match going and pushes Don Dallas Page. You don't do that. Sean gets in the ring, kind of gets in Earl Hefner's face. DDP takes him out, diamond cutter. Why the hell did they have to do that spot with Don Dallas Page? Well, to give Cody enough time to be able to get underneath that fucking table that he was right next to and cut himself open and take the attention off them. That's why they fucking did that. Saw people bitching about that. People love to bitch. Um, they get back into a match. It basically ends up with a reverse roll-up. Uh, it was a sunset flip, and then Cody came down on it. And was just a – the match itself might not have been a fantastic five-star match, but the moment itself, bringing, bringing so much more credibility back to the NWA title and putting it on this large of a platform when, you know, I mean, thank you, Tim Storm, for, for having it for, I think, like two years. But he was in gymnasiums before Billy Corrigan bought out the NWA. And now – we have a second generational Rhodes with the title with against a good villain who is like your old school NWA villain and Nick Aldis. And I like how they kind of, I didn't know this, but Magnus has had wins apparently when he was an impact. Correct me if I'm wrong, Chris, when I pass it to you with Kurt Angle and AJ Styles, and Samoa Joe. Uh, so he's, he's more legitimate than I knew him. for. I just didn't see him during his time with his tenure with TNA but I, I, I really enjoyed this. I had a tear in my eye afterwards with a tear in my eye, good old Rick saying. Um, and I was very, very happy for him. Uh, I love seeing what The Rock said and a lot of other wrestlers that you wouldn't think would have, you know, really even paid attention to it. Dustin had a really nice video he put for his brother. Obviously probably couldn't be there, much like how Mickey probably couldn't be there for Nick. Um, but I thought it was a fun, old-school 
tribute-style match of the NWA, a good way to boost the title and show some damn credibility to Cody because that's the ultimate fuck you to management over in WWE, whether it be Vince or whoever, not thinking that he was viable enough. And he has a lot of love for WWE. He still says nothing but positive things about him. But in reality, he wasn't good enough. If he went back, they probably wouldn't treat him that well. And now he has a title that means something to him, and he gets to put meaning back into. So I think that's pretty damn cool. Uh, as far as wrestling moments, man, I, I mean, I did a lot of my favorite newer wrestlers, I didn't see the first time they became a champion, or they were heel, like Kevin Owens. Um, I've only had, like, Finn Balor's right when I got into it, and he lost the title the next night. And then I, I really enjoyed um, Aleister Black winning uh, the NXT title. But I think the ones that got to be the most was Kenny and now Cody, it was like afterwards I was like, yeah! I did that whole entire thing, um, which is I think what uh, got my roommate to come in and go, hey, are you all right? And then I have tears in one of my eyes, maybe both. I don't know. Chris, what's up with you on this? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, as far as Aldous is concerned, or, or Magnus, as I've, I've known him, uh, he, he was pretty big in TNA. I mean, he had to run as champion. Um, I also know he worked for GFW. I don't know the story between him and Jarrett, and if there's still beef there. Uh, he was also an American Gladiator, if I remember remembering correctly, at one point in his career. So I mean, he's he's been kind of been around for a while. It was, I thought the match itself was okay, and the spot in the middle with the with the X, like you were talking about. You, granted, you don't want to do that spot a lot because it does kind of take away from the meaning. But the reason they did it was obviously to give him time to do the blade spot. The classic dusty moment where you're bleeding um, as you win the title. And I thought it was set up well. Everything going into it I thought was done well. The match itself, to me, was just hit or miss. Obviously, Rhodes winning the title was a really cool moment, um, especially because, you know, Dusty had won it and held the title. and. Cody Rhodes winning the title is a big deal for NWA and possibly Billy Corgan, depending on where they go with this. I'm assuming they're going to end up putting this thing back on Magnus because Cody is still working in both New Japan and Ring of Honor, unless they're going to do a cross-promotional thing between Ring of Honor and NWA, which we had talked about previously. Um, I don't know. There's a whole lot more I should say out of this match. I always enjoy seeing DDP. I thought it was really funny when the fans broke into like a yoga chant midway through. <laughs> right before he hit the uh, the diamond cutter, which is great. DDP yoga works too, by the way. So I'm not making fun of it, but uh, it it was just a weird. It felt like a WCW match. It really did in, in the way that they broke that middle section up, and then also there was just a lot of spots that just weren't really tight. And it's probably because Aldis and Cody Rhodes have never worked together. Also, you know, like I like uh, Magnus. I just He's another one of those wrestlers I never was huge on as far as his in-ring work. I think him and Cody had as good of a match as they could have had, uh, never working together. And it really didn't matter because they gave it such a big match feel, and the finish is what the crowd wanted to see anyways. Um, So from that standpoint, it it was fun to watch, and it was really cool uh, to see Cody don the NWO, or NWA, not NWO, NWA World's Championship. Uh, the 10 pounds of gold, so to speak. But uh, it's going to be interesting to see where they go with that. I, I didn't have the emotional reaction you had. I was like, oh, cool. 
where are they going to go with this? That was, <laughs> that was kind of my reaction to it. Um, because I, I think, you know, the thing that I want to see Cody do is get the, the IWGP title. Like that's the, to me, that would be a more crowning achievement than getting the NWA title at this point. Uh, the NWA, NWA in general, the name NWA and how many times that thing has been restructured just doesn't have as much meaning to me. Uh, but once again, when you tie it back to Dusty Rhodes, I could see where you could get a little bit emotional and be like, oh, that was a neat spot. I do like that they brought the classic title back for it. Though. It, looks, it looks good. Yeah, I, I I think it's also because, like, I've, I've been watching 10 Pounds of Gold, and I, I haven't watched every match. Actually, I watched three of Nick Aldis's match uh, defending the title up until then, mostly the documentary that they do. I think Bully Corgan's got a good head about this. And um, if I was, like I said, if I was Billy and, you know, apparently Nick Aldis, he was already traveling and going to different promotions and defending the title, I keep on doing that in a bigger spotlight. And as long as the federations have no problem with it, you know, God, I would love to see Cody and Kenny title versus title, you know, but I don't think that that's going to happen. But there's a lot of cool things that can happen, a lot of stuff that could not happen. We'll have to wait. And it's another one of those things where I always say we'll have to wait and see, but the match was not the best match of the night by far, but I think that to me personally, it was the best moment. And it was because of all the, the pageantry that they had beforehand, who we came out with the real reaction. Like I say, when certain people get to win titles that, you know, that it's like, yes, this is what I wanted. You know, that there's genuine, uh, genuineness to it. I loved how Earl Hefner was basically shooing uh, Nick Alvis away. Like, no, you now you get out of here. And I, I don't know if Nick Aldis wanted to, like, try to shake Cody's hand or something. Was like, all right, I'm just going to listen to Earl and get the fuck in the back. But uh, Earl Hefner, turning into Mills Lane, I love you. Uh, let's, uh, let's get it on. Um, so the next match we got to talk about was a fun fucking hardcore match uh, between two crazy assholes, one I knew was a crazy asshole with Hangman Adam Page, against Joey Janela, um, bad boy. Uh, and uh, he had his beautiful girlfriend. I can't think of her name. I'm blanking on it right now. But she Penelope, was such a Penelope badass. Ford. Penelope, Penelope Ford. Ford. Who, yeah, she was. She was. She was fun. Um, Joey Janela. I don't know if he wants to be the next Nick Foley in the sense that, or, or Jeff Hardy in the sense that he will, he'll be willing to take any ridiculous bump. Didn't know a lot about this guy. Um, I enjoyed him. I really liked him. I checked out a lot of his other stuff before uh, from MLW and CZW. Uh, he's a good wrestler. He's known for doing some crazy off-the-wall shit, like going through a whole entire fucking, what was it, like a house or some shit like that from the top to the bottom? I don't know. Uh, so he likes taking bumps. Um, Hangman Page likes giving those and also taking them as well. Uh, in the end, Page performed the rite of passage on Janela from the top of a ladder through a table for the win. And that's where we start with just after the match, the lights went out, um, and I didn't know what the hell was going on. You heard music, and uh, it was very similar to, like, you know, the Undertaker's music when the Druids come out. Um, but the Druids appeared, and they were they were, they were were giant dicks. Uh, if you watch B, uh, uh, Being the Elite, uh, and you've been keeping up with this stuff, which I did know about this, um, actually – uh, within it, long story short, Heyman Page uh, has a big penis, is what they were 
kind of alluding to. And everyone gives Joey Ryan credit for his massive thing. And Adam thought that Joey was lying about it. So he got convinced by his own boots to kill Joey Ryan. And he killed him with a old school phone uh, strangling him. And uh, Joey Ryan resurrected himself. So Joey Ryan, who I'm already, you know, I think he's a, he's a good wrestler, but I just, his gimmick, he's like the modern Val Venus, I get it, except for he's not as, like, chiseled. Um, and instead of getting his dick chopped off, he uses it to sling people around. But it was, it was funny. Um, Joey came back from the dead, he came out. Paige selling it was great. His facial expressions were hilarious. I was laughing my ass off for that. Uh, when he gets in the ring, uh, he does his normal thing where he does he takes the lollipop, puts it down his uh, his uh, pants, um, and then does makes him dip the Adam Page around, and then puts the lollipop in Adam Page's mouth and super kicks him. This was a pretty long segment. Another thing, I'm just you know just saying. We had a 17-minute main event, which is fine because it's Lucha Libre to an extent. Another thing, probably could have clipped it out, especially sponsors. You're showing this new product that's an alternative for wrestling. You're getting this big. You're putting on pay-per-views, and you have dick druids. I thought it was funny when, you know, when Dave Metzler was talking about this uh, with Brian Alvarez, who Brian thought it was the greatest thing ever. Dave was like, I could understand why people were, you know, if if someone were to have walked in, or if you're watching this with your kids, or you're saying, hey, this is actual wrestling, I want you to check it out, and this is fucking what they see, it's kind of like, ugh. and I, I, I'm i sure Jim Cornette found found out and had a fucking stroke. Uh, so yeah, Dick Druids, Chris, um, how, how did you, I love the match, how, how did you like all of this? Uh, I, I thought the match was really good, I enjoyed it. It was a typical street fight match. Once again, uh, Hangman Page drawing me in as a fan more and more every time I see him. I didn't have a huge problem with the Joey Ryan stuff. I kind of knew it was going to come. I just felt like he was going to be part of this at some point uh, and, and do his thing, and he did. He did a spot. It's fine. It's a weird thing to talk about or explain. It's just I'm not a huge fan of it. I get people that are fans of it. It's not even worth me talking about because he's not going to stop doing it. And whether I like it or dislike it, other people like it, so it doesn't really matter. It's just the spot that I knew was going to happen. Now, that being said, did it take up a good amount of time? Yes. Could he have just came out and did the dick flip and the super kick and probably been good without the video package and the dancing penis druids? Maybe. But then again, maybe it wouldn't have been as funny for the people that like it. Um, you can also say the same thing about what, you know, to a, to an extent, this is an over-exaggerated version of New Day coming out with dancing pancakes. Yeah. You know what I yeah, mean? Like, so to me, this isn't dick. even like this isn't even that original because like New Day just did this, but they did it with pancakes, and he did it with dicks. And you know, to me, the, the pancakes, the pan, the pancake thing was funnier, uh, but. I guess it just depends on who you are. Uh, (laughs) I mean, we're literally talking like a few pay-per-views ago. They totally did the pancake gimmick, like they did. But you were like, they did a pancake, dancing, and he did the dick. It's like, yeah, (laughs) I get that, and it's a very similar concept. It's it's pancakes or dicks. Um, 
I don't it's know, fucking like it. it. And a lot of people with the dick slip, it's like you know. I mean, I watched some fucking bizarre shit. The Bronco Buster was a ridiculous move, and it actually fucked up. You know, uh, X Pops. Uh, what you call it is, I, I believe his hips or some shit from doing it so much. And I also used to watch the Stink Face and the Kiss My Ass Club and New Day are very much that same humor, just PG version. But it just, um, yeah, mainly I was well, it's funnier I because it, because it's cleaner. It's funnier for some reason. Like just the you know, it's classy. I don't know. Way I it's it's weird if you. Like if I was gonna show this pay per view to someone, and then it's like, oh, here's Joey Ryan. He flips people over with his dick. <laughs> like, they're like, okay. No. I think it's more acceptable to explain to someone that, well, here's the Undertaker, and he died, but he came back to life. But also, his parents were pallbearers, and his brother Kane got set on fire as a child, and now he's tormented and, and maybe a demon. Like that's almost easier to explain than like. No, Joey Ryan has a super dick. He throws people around with it. Like, it's ridiculous. It's funny, but at the same time, it's like they put it. I mean, granted, I guess they put a one match buffer in it, but you're also coming off the heels of like Dusty Rhodes winning the NWA title or Cody Rhodes winning the NWA title. Yeah, that was your buffer so, between title matches. <laughs> So it was kind of just like, okay, fuck. Um, like I said, I don't have a problem with it. Make Joey Ryan should make his money however he wants to make his money. I'm not going to go on a Jim Cornette rant. People obviously like it, think it's funny. That's why it was part of the show. Yeah. Not my thing. Let's just go with that. I'll stick with the dancing pancakes over the dancing penises. Me too. And normal druids instead of dick druids. All right. So uh, I <laughs> – for the other title match, um, as much as uh, the NWA was a very much an homage to World Championship Wrestling and uh, NWA-style 80s wrestling, this one was, uh, you know, at least for the start and the ending of it, very much an homage to WWF 80s wrestling, and mainly with Macho Man Randy Savage. So it starts off with Jay Lethal. He's in the back, getting ready to go towards the ring for his match, and someone comes up and Taps him on the shoulder, which is something you, if you watch Being the Elite, you would have seen other things related to this, um, and hands him some very familiar glasses. And then we have Flip Gordon, who comes to the ring, um, and Jay's music hits, but it's actually the macho, not the black machismo music, which is different, uh, the, the straight pop uh, and circumstance music uh, for Macho Man from back in the day. And he comes with the guy that tapped him on the shoulder, uh, the the legend uh, Lenny Poffalo. The uh, what the hell was this? He wasn't the teacher. He was a genius. Um, genius. He's actually, really smart. Him and Jay uh, have started a charity, basically called Brothers from a Different Mother, and they're promoting that partially, which is awesome. D- Lanny actually got uh, a fan who has the first outfit that uh, Randy wore. Uh, when he debuted in, in WCW, uh, got that outfit delivered to him and brought it to Jay, and they decided, obviously, to do the whole Macho Man thing. And it was awesome. Jay Lethal, not only in the ring, reminds me of, of Savage in the style that he, he he naturally, you know, and me and you both said this, uh, he naturally is inspired. 
inspired and works very similar to Savage in the Ring. He's one of the best, I think, all-around professional wrestlers in ring and on the mic today, uh, especially non-WWE. Uh, when he does a Macho Man, he kicks it up a notch. He does all the mannerisms, certain things. And uh, Flip has been having this, this, this weird thing going on with um, Brandy, who they've consulted because Cody pissed her off and being the elite, and he you know, confided in her whatnot, setting up something. I'm sure it's going to happen, bring up honor in the future. But she came out with this little army outfit. I loved all this, Chris. I loved the part where he did, you know, if you watch, and I did, uh, the Ricky Steamboat Macho Man match from WrestleMania three. They pretty much the beginning of that match was all that. Uh, he first does the whole Elizabeth thing where he tells her to go in the corner. He's trying to get her away from George Animal Steel in there. Uh, and Jay did it even again, like when he started she started walking away, saying, "No, no, you sit there." And she's like, "I don't know what to do." So they get in the ring. They started it off. They did the exact same sequence. It gets pretty much. Uh, a little bit, them doing some different stuff. And then uh, Flip goes to, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, what the hell, uh, the cat that him and Sean, Sean and Ricky always did. Uh, damn it, I can't think Skin of Skin the cat. Skin the cat, thank you. Um, and Jay nails him, he goes to the outside. Brandy goes to help out, <laughs> go to help out Flip Gordon. Uh, Jay goes, chases her, starts yelling at her. She gets in the ring, and Brandy's like, Jay, I'm not playing, okay? I'm not Liz. I am not Miss Elizabeth. And then he grabs her and puts her on his shoulder and redoes the whole thing like they're getting married. Uh, And then she smacks him um, on the shoulder, and he turns back into Jay Lethal. They do primarily more so a Ring of Honor-style match, much more all over the place, uh, until Lanny wants, you know, Jay to go to the top turnbuckle and has to smack him again to get him back to Macho Man. And just like uh, the setup, at least for the Ultimate Warrior, where Randy went three times um, doing elbow drops, and, you know, Flip Gordon starts doing the whole Ultimate Warrior thing and then turns it into the Hulk Hogan thing going, you! And then does that come back a little bit? Uh, Jay shortly wins after that with his lethal injection. Like I said, a very if, if the – if the Cody match was a love letter to WCW and WA, this very much was a love letter to both the Macho Man Randy Savage and WWF 80s wrestling in general with the, the ridiculousness and, uh, you know, the whole Elizabeth thing. I think Brandy did a great job. Really enjoyed this match. Had a lot of fun. I love Jay Lethal. Flip Gordon, you know, I know him a little bit through Ring of Honor. He's definitely gone up a couple notches. Enough for me to download him on WWE 2K18. And I don't do that for everyone. I only have 100 fucking spots. <laughs> I, uh, I really enjoyed this match. I, I love the fact that Lanny, Leaping Lanny Poffo, the genius, was there. Um, I like the switching back and forth. It almost makes sense that they did the, the Joey Ryan spot when they did because of what they were going to do in this match just to kind of breathe some air of comedy into it. Um, it, it was great. Like uh, they, like you said, they did, they, when they started off, it was just basically the prototypical wrestling WWF WrestleMania match. And then uh, when they flipped him back to Jay lethal, they really turned on more of a ring of honor style match where you had, you know, two suicide dives and a corkscrew dive from, uh, from flip. Then they uh, both went back and forth with pins, and then Flip, I think, tried to hit a uh, 450 
splash, and then you had the lethal combination, and then he tried the lethal injection. All of that stuff happening in such a short section. Um, and then Poffo, of course, tapping him back to for the finish where he switched back to Macho Man, which was it was a really fun, uh, fun, fun match to watch as far as I'm concerned. And I also thought the in-ring work was some of the best on the show. Uh, I would love to just see Flip versus Jay Lethal in general. And that's the great thing about Jay Lethal is he can flip back and forth between those characters. It was neat to see him do this in a match. I don't know that he's going to incorporate, incorporate it long-term where he's going to switch mid-match um, <laughs> like he did on this show. But I, I thought it was a, a you know a good, a, a cool homage. Um, especially if you know Cody Rhodes, who grew up around WCW. Uh, so he probably dug this a lot. Uh, I think the, the, the Black the Blackman Cheeseball outfit was uh, the WCW debut, right? The, the orange, red, and black. Yep. Yeah, so yep. it, it was just real cool. It was a real cool moment in general. I had a lot of nostalgia seeing Black Machismo pull off all of my favorite Randy Red spots. Seeing a man who can actually hit a tribute to uh, tribute elbow to Macho Man properly, unlike uh, Three of someone else that lives in Chicago. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I really, really enjoyed this. You know, it was probably the perfect match to put in before – these final three, because these final three to me were definitely the headliners and where they should have been on the card. I think maybe you could have rotated the last match with the young bucks to Cody's match. And you could have had Cody ends uh, in the night. I could see why he didn't want to do that being that, you know, he was the major pr- promoter behind this, but his being a title win, I think that would have been a nice spot for him at the very the main event, but your big names, your your Kazuchi Okada's, your Omegas, and your Young Bucks of the world, who would argue is especially with you know Coda and Rey Mysterio and Phoenix and all those guys, I would say those are definitely the biggest names on the card. Um, so it makes sense that you know they put Lethal kind of in the spot, have this fun, nostalgic, but good wrestling match in between what we're about to talk about because uh, pretty pretty great. Yeah, because what we're about to talk about goes from, especially with this next match, uh, goes from tributes to NWA and and showing you uh, this aspect and and a tribute to WWF. And now we're going to go straight. This is what happens in Lucha Underground or in New Japan. Two people beating the living fuck out of each other and doing spots on people's necks that probably shouldn't happen. But it was still a damn fucking cool match. Probably my favorite match of the night. I definitely love the match after this. But, you know, my top three favorite non-WWE, I guess Kenny's number one. But pretty much no orders. Okada, Pentagon, and Kenny. And seeing Kenny and Pentagon have their first singles match was pretty awesome. And they hyped it up. Uh, One complaint, though, and I I get it maybe. uh, It's just funny because it seems like everyone was involved in this, so it shouldn't have been an issue. If you're going to mention, hey, Tessa Blanchard is the current Impact Women's Champion. Hey, uh, you know, uh, Wishmall Kenny is the IWGP current champion. Hey, Pentagon is the current Luchador champion. The belts would have been cool to see just to even give it that much more prestige. I get it was probably more. I don't think Impact would have had a problem because of Don Callis. New Japan was helping out with the production, so I don't even think if they would either. Maybe Lucha Underground because of that, and also technically, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, by the end of 
now there's a different champion, if that makes sense. Lucha Underground is filmed in advance. So even though technically currently Pentagon is, that doesn't mean that down the road that changes that's already filmed. Um, but either way, yeah, basically you had – and you had Don Callis, who was great uh, commentating, who knows Kenny extremely well, has called some of his biggest matches live, is good friends with him, and Pentagon is a talent that he signed to Impact, that he has promoted, that he watched you know, and also commentated his uh, championship match that he won from Austin Aries. So he knows them really well, too. So these are two guys he's very familiar with. Their styles are great. I love the whole Sierra Miero, Zero Fear thing that uh, Penta says, stuff like that. And you have the Lucha Underground champion versus the IWGP champion, and they beat the living shit out of each other. Uh, and this is, this is much more one where it was fast-paced. Everything was fast-paced, large impact, where the other match, you know, with Marty Skrull and Kazuchika Okada was very much more slowed down a little bit, a lot, lot of selling, which is good. Uh, but this one was also good, too. The thing that I have to say, though, everyone's worried about the V-trigger. And Kenny's explained many a times that with the V-trigger, he's hitting the sternum. I just smacked my own sternum if my voice sounded weird just now. He's hitting the sternum. There's little impact going actually in the face. He's hitting the shoulder sometimes. He's going around. If he hits the head, it's kind of grazing over the side. You know, he's not making too much of a contact. That smack you're hearing is a combination of him hitting – you know, the chest while smacking the side on that material. I'm sorry to tell you guys, that's how a lot of those guys do it. Super kicks, Shawn Michaels, the reason why he had shiny fucking pants because he used to smack it right before he kicked him in the face. Now, that's not saying he didn't kick him, but that shotgun blast sound is actually more so him smacking the side of his, his, his the material. But that fucking pile driver that I really think should be just completely eliminated, that Penta does, Oh, my God. Um, package pile driver? The package pile driver pa- on the apron. No. Oh. It, dude, you, it's, it's, you, 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 you hook the arms, and the way that they do it, they just drop them, and that was on the apron. And then Kenny did one to him, and then he did one right back in the ring. And then there was a reverse Arana, and Penda did get out of four – one wing angels that Don Callis kind of noted, and I watched when I watched it the second time, I noticed it too. In the fifth, he finally got him, but the whole entire time he wasn't going down. And every time that Kenny would give it to him, he would, you know, do his Jano Miro, which is kind of like, I guess, because they kind of remind me in certain ways of together, kind of like the woo that the thing does, you know, to get intensity and also to kind of screw you to the, uh, like, you're not, you're not hurting me towards the opponent. Um, and uh, Kenny got the win. But like I said, like, that the 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 idea of uh, of the package pile driver like that where you do it like the the pedigree and you pick them up and then you just drive them down and I know that the, especially one of them that Kenny got from Pentagon just looked awful. I know he was trying to like move his thighs in at the last minute to catch his head. He fucking barely did. He just impact against it. Um, and also I'm also gonna bitch. It's not so much Pentagon's fault. It's the commentator's fault. And Don Callis was kind of like part of the problem. Vampire does this too on Lucha Underground. That whole thing where he, he takes the arm and, and you know, oh, my God, he broke his arm. He's bro-. Can't we just pretend that he dislocated his shoulder? Because that's something that a person can put his shoulder back in place. Or that could be the reason why Kenny's not selling it. And Kenny did a good job selling it, don't get me wrong. 
But if you keep on saying he broke his arm, he broke his arm, he broke his arm, he shouldn't be able to do half the shit that he does. And then afterwards, Don Callis kind of covered, well, I guess that, that right arm's not too bad because, you know, he's, he's putting a lot more weight on it. So obviously I thought I heard it pop. Just cut that shit out, okay? Let the move be something where he dislocates his shoulder or just fucks up his arm, and you just kind of call it based on that and try to making us have disbelief enough that, oh, Kenny Omega's got his arm broken and he's going to be fucking fighting next weekend. Kind of dumb to me. That's my biggest complaint. Other than that, I thought it was a fun fucking match, very fast-paced, very hard-hitting. I like how both of them are known for doing their, you know, their aerial moonsault out to the out or to the outside, and they kept on screwing each other over. And finally, Pentagon got one, and then Kenny got one shortly after that. The sequence is, it's like these guys were different, but they were similar to in ways. And uh, I, I would love to see another match with them. Uh, Chris, I'm gushing over this. Uh, how'd you feel about this match? I really, really enjoyed it. I, I think it was probably my second favorite match of the night. Um, the following probably being my favorite, but uh, it, yeah, it was just great start from finish, very fast paced. You, uh, the the only the one thing I would say about Omega in this match, the beat trigger I think was used a bit much. Uh, I think there was four times in general, and that's not including the times where he just went for it and didn't hit it. So that it became a little bit where it's it, 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 to me it was a little overused. But outside of that, there was lots of really cool spots. I like the uh, the, the the flying. Uh, God, it's not a. It wasn't a moonsault, but the the jumping flip to the outside, the the senton to the outside that they both were trying for a while. That was a cool spot. There was a uh, the attempted V trigger where Pentagon hit just a wonderful super kick. Um, right into like right after that, there was a dragon suplex and a, and a one winged angel attempt. There's just so much in this match. Um, the package pile driver looks scarier than it is. I know Kevin Owens used to do it a lot in Ring of Honor, and he would actually turn them at the last second, so it was almost more like a power bomb onto his own legs. Uh, yeah, but they didn't. <laughs> this one, did, this one looked a little. This one looked a little more scary. Uh, there's a if you if you want to see it, the what I'm talking about. Uh, a good example is uh, Ke- Kevin Steen versus El Generico in their uh, ladder, their TLC match, or their table ladders and chairs match that they had. At uh, back in 2000, God, before before they both went to WWE, kind of the end of El Generico. If you watch that, there's several instances where Kevin Owens hits it in a very way. Even on the apron, he would he would basically turn them and, so that they would land more on his legs. The, I agree. This one's a little. That one was a little more like, hey, it's up to you to tuck your head, uh, kind of. So which is a little little scarier. But all pile drivers can be scarier. And I think when you throw the apron in there, of course, it's it's it amplifies that a little bit just because not only because of the way the announcers sell it, but because it it is realistically the hardest part of the ring because that's where, you know, the planks are inserted into the the metal siding. Um, So I didn't have as much of a problem with it. I, you know, it's, it's Kenny Omega. He's really good at what he does. So is Pentagon. So if two people are going to do it, those would be the two that I'd want doing it. Uh, The match itself I thought was really great. And I, I liked at the end of the match, where uh, Mr. Jericho yeah, himself, I, to... I don't know if we're going to talk about that, but Mr. Chris Jericho himself came out. So after the match, the lights went out. Uh, when they came back on, uh, basically, it, same situation. Kenny was in the ring. Ref was getting out of it. Pentagon was down on the floor. Then Pentagon gets up behind Kenny, 
By the way, Pentagon's outfit, the 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 scorpion uh, Mortal Kombat costume, thought that was cool as shit. Uh, let me first. Yeah, that. and he, he's going he's he's going by Penta L Zero now, and I'm not fully caught up on Lucha Underground, so I'm not sure if that costume is part of a character change. But because it's Lucha Underground, I'm going to go on a limb and say it, the the name change and the costume change are probably part of that. So I need to catch up on Lucha Underground. Well, actually, Lucha Underground and Impact, he goes by Pentagon, Pentagon Jr. Uh, for some reason, I guess in AAA, CML, and Crash, whenever he's involved in that, or MLW, he goes by Penta LM, or Penta Sierra uh, uh, Miero is another one that he calls himself, which is Zero Fear, I guess. I don't know. I guess I don't know if that's a contractual type of thing, but uh, yeah, they, I thought it was kind of weird because everyone knows him as Pentagon. I mean, he's fucking Pentagon. Pentagon Dark, Pentagon Yeah, to, I mean, got, yeah, to me, more, he'll more always be Pentagon Jr. Like, he'll always be Pentagon Jr. for me, because when he was in, the first time I saw him in Lucha Underground, he was, he was Pentagon Jr. So that's kind of what I've always yeah. stuck with. But I don't know. But anyways, after the match, like I said, the lights went out. And they came back on. Penta got up and attacked Omega with a Codebreaker. And at that, the commentator's like, wait a minute, his arm doesn't have those tattoos. His arms aren't, aren't Spanish or with tattoos all over them. I mean, it's, it's obviously a fucking white dude under there. Um, so, really cool. He ran Codebreaker. You're like, that's Chris Jericho. Chris Jericho takes off his fucking mask. It's him. He lets his hair out, takes off his shirt. He's got this new badass Judas uh, Chris Jericho shirt. Uh, really, really cool. Gives him another Codebreaker. Gets him like, Drops a promo, basically threatening Kenny, uh, and tells him to get ready for the cruise. So that was really—it was really cool that you know, and very genius of Jericho to try to get more butts and seats for the cruise. Coming to All In, kind of defying what he originally said that he would not work an event um, in America that was not WWE. He showed up at All In, the biggest indie wrestling event in the history of independent wrestling so far. Um, so very cool, very quick, got out of there. Kenny was on the ground, like, you know, still selling his arm, which I love Kenny for being, for remembering that. And that was it. That was, that was pretty much it. I know that a lot of people, anyone that thought that CM Punk was really going to be fucking there, especially after all the bullshit with Cole Cabana. I understand he had a signing, but once that happened, I'm sure he was more obligated to be there, you know, with all the bullshit with him and Colt. Punk wasn't going to be there. Um, I would have loved to have seen Neville involved in some way. Especially it would have made sense if he came out and either helped out Stephen Amell, which if you go back, Stephen Amell and Neville hooked up for the first time at SummerSlam. That's how the whole thing came in against Cody. Or actually if he was a heel still, and maybe you signed a Ring of Honor, fucked over Stephen Amell, starting a, a fight with the Bullet Club. Um, that would have been cool. I didn't have to see Neville. I didn't have to see CM Punk. Having Chris Jericho there was pretty out of nowhere. Um, I thought that was awesome. Chris, what do you think about Jericho being at All In? I think it was great for him to be there because I'm assuming they're going to do kind of a champion versus champion on that cruise since he's still, if I'm not mistaken, he is still the intercontinental title holder in New Japan. Um, and maybe that builds to something in New Japan, too. It, I'm hoping that they have some way to stream what they're going to be doing on that cruise ship. 
uh, in some form, at least record it and upload it later or something to Patreon or some way for us to consume it. Um, but yeah, I enjoyed him being there. I thought it was kind of funny. It's Shades of Jericho. He's done that multiple times where he dresses as a luchador and shows up. It was cool that he was in the full Penta costume, kind of. So that was it was it was a fun moment, and and also because he had been selling that he wasn't going to be there at all. Tour that he would be nowhere near Chicago um, on Twitter. Like he had been pumping that he there's no way in hell that he was going to be anywhere near this event, and he showed up. So it was it was great. The only thing I wish is that he would have you know told Omega that he just made the cruise. <laughs> you just made the cruise. Yeah. Uh, I want to that cruise. Especially now that John Morrison is calling Kenny Omega. If that happens, I have to see a fucking match. They have to do that somewhere else. Um, but either yeah. way, yeah. Chris Jericho, genius. And left the arena directly and got a, I don't know if he got a flight or whatever, but got to the show on time to be able to perform the same fucking night. That's how much of a badass Y2J is. Yeah, I mean, he legitimately did have a show in a different, like a different country, right? <laughs> like that was legit. I think I think it was like a state over. Actually, it was. It. I mean, he literally had to time it like that. Like you know, get in, do that, get the fuck out, get on a plane, get over there. Uh, the band was going on at I think eleven o'clock midnight at where they. Were. Yeah. And he got on stage. We'll do it, no problem. I mean, that is ridiculous. He That's, is. I a mean, millennium man. Yeah, he is doing what he loves, though, and it's really cool that he's able. He was able to be part of the event in general because I really think that you know he already had predetermined dates with a with the tour con, con. That that tour was probably booked way ahead of this show, I would think. So it's cool that he was even able to show up. I'm sure that private jet flight was not cheap. That's more. It seems like it was more a labor of love. <laughs> I don't think that he probably made too much off uh, his, his appearance. No. Like a lot of the guys in the battle royal, I think I think that that's the same case. People just want to help make this a badass event, and I think they did that. All right, so the next match, probably my second favorite match tonight. Um, but stuff kind of changed it that we'll get into a little bit now that I know back uh, going back onto it. But uh, you had a badass match between Kazuchika Okada, probably my favorite all-around wrestler right now, uh, just as far as pure wrestling. Damn, what is pure wrestling? Uh, He's one of those guys, like like a Ric Flair, like a Bret Hart, that's like, no matter what, even if they don't do anything so fancy, they're going to have a fucking great match. They're going to perform extremely well. They're going to sell like a madman. They're going to be safe most of the damn time in the ring, and they're just going to – just he's a great fucking wrestler. He's like a modern Nick Bockwinkle. It's ridiculous how just efficient he is. And Marty Skrull, who is one of the best in the name, villains, I think, right now. Yeah, he's over with the fans, but I love that part where he was too sweet. He went to go too sweet the audience and then flicked them off, and everyone started laughing about that. Like, that's Marty Skrull. So, on Being the Elite, there's been a whole thing of it's kind of a joke. Okada thinks it's hilarious that he's going against Marty Skrull, that he's going to kill him, that he couldn't do anything because Marty's so small and he's a junior heavyweight, blah, 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 blah. So, Marty starts trying to put on weight, and a majority of that is by eating <laughs> Dunkin' Donuts. Um, so he's in shape, or getting bigger, putting on weight, eating Dunkin' Donuts. Sounds like something that would happen on Always Sunny in uh, Philadelphia with Mac. But, uh, you know, and that that's the whole thing. And before it, they showed those two guys that were like this 
ongoing joke of these two people telling him that he wouldn't be able to do it. He breaks both their fingers, goes out. Okada kind of just acted like that. I mean, he did his normal Okada things to start off with, got him into the ropes, you know, pretends he's going to chop him, you know, smacks him on the shoulder. Uh, but the wonderful thing about, you know, Marty and, and his quality of match style is when he grabs his fingers. So you had a lot, you had three moments where Okada went to do something and immediately Marty went to the fingers. One of them was the Rainmaker uh, because Okada got a little bit cocky and, you know, did some, I don't know what the fuck he was doing, but like maybe a three, two, one in front of his face and he grabbed his fingers and started doing it. Um, but it was a fun match. Marty's whole concept and premise was he was going to show Okada that he could take him in a match or be able to at least hang with them. And he did. And it was believable. And it was really good. Uh, lots of awesome submission wrestling. Uh, Marty, depending on the person he's working with, is amazing. Like, if he works with a Will Ospreay or Okada, he's fluid as hell. He's able to bounce back, no problem. Certain other people, he's a little more exposed. But he's a damn good chain wrestler when it comes to, like, Pete Dunne and being able to do submission-style work, old British-style grapples and stuff like that. Um, he's a hooker, if you will. And I don't mean he's a prostitute. If you don't know what that is, go look it up, people. Goddamn. Um, but he, they just had a good match. They, they went all over the place. He started getting the upper hand. Like I said, there was a spot where he went for a rainmaker. Okada did. Skrull got his fingers. The ending basically had Marty get the, um, the cross-faced chicken wing. Okada got out of that. And uh, Marty tried to do it again. And Okada reversed it. Uh, got a badass spinning fucking uh, Rainmaker, picked him up, gave him another Rainmaker, and uh, won the match. And I love the match, but I found out listening to The Observer, uh, Dave Metzler and Brian Alvarez talk about it and break it down. Um, this was the biggest contributor towards the, the main event going from 30 minutes to 16 minutes because Marty and Okada were selling so much and they just weren't limited time and apparently it was known that they were on limited time that instead of listening to Tiger Tori that kept on getting obviously stuff in his ear to let them know, because that's what happens with refs in the back. Cody actually, fucking badass Chris, uh, was producing the whole entire time, went and had his match with his outfit still on, went back behind the camera in gorilla position and produced the rest of the show. That's how dedicated Cody Rhodes was. Uh, so Cody was sending signals to tell people to tell them to hurry the fuck up and finish the match. And they kept on ignoring it and going and going. And at one point you see cameramen trying to get over to him because they're over by the corner um, being like, Marty, you know, and Tiger Tory kept on telling him to get up when they were on the ground and, you know, spinning his, his hands, like, let's go, let's go, let's go. Um, worst part, right towards the finish, a referee ran out to the ring, uh, was smacking the ring and saying, Marty, you know, and, and trying to get his attention over and over again. I don't think – I think there's somewhat of a backlash with that because after the whole entire event, I don't know, this more speculation, you had everyone in the elite come out and talk to the crowd, um, including Adam Page and Kenny Omega with the Bucks and Cody. Marty was nowhere to be found. I don't know if he got bitched out and fucking got all pissed off and was somewhere else or whatnot or what happened. But I love the match. I hate that that kind of took away from the last match – you know, if you didn't have that opening match, you would have had enough time to be held, able to have this great, slow, badass, New Japan, UK-style submission match, and it wouldn't have mattered. 
it, like I said, I love that first match, but it could have been on that pre-show on the zero-hour thing. I don't know. Do I think it's kind of fucked up, even JR calling him out, Brian Alvarez calling him out, for, you know, kind of just thinking about themselves in the moment a little bit and trying to finish their match that they had, obviously, and not being able to just uh, put egos aside and try to finish it up for the dudes that, you know, were part of organizing this whole entire fucking thing with the Young Bucks. So they weren't screwed with the legend on the damn bill with Rey Mysterio to have a short match. They did have a luchador match, so it kind of worked out. But Chris, how do you feel about the match and also a little bit of the backlash to the match? Well, I, I thought it was, the to me, was the best match of the night. Um, I didn't know about all the backlash until earlier today when you were telling me about it, obviously. Um, I thought the ending was phenomenal. Uh, the way they built to the ending I thought was really good, where you had the chicken wing and the Nokata uh, breaking free and then Scroll trying to reapply it, and then he breaking out and then Scroll super kicking Okada and the ref going down, and then you had the umbrella spot. The, the attempted Rainmaker, I think, and then just that fucking wicked spinning Rainmaker at the end, and then another Rainmaker again uh, for the finish. And the Rainmaker is still just, the way he does it makes it, and the way other people sell it with the opponents he has just makes that thing look so fucking phenomenal and devastating. It's still great. Kazuchika Okada is fucking phenomenal, still probably my favorite wrestler in the world right now. Um, it's unfortunate, apparently, with the time thing. I don't know what was going on. I wasn't there, so I'm not really going to comment on it. I'm, if they did go over their time limit by 15 minutes, then that's kind of fucked up. But it, was it really 15 minutes, or was it five minutes? And who am I to say? I don't know. I wasn't fucking there. They did a ref bump spot, so I have no idea. Maybe they could. There's, there's obviously stuff they could cut out of their match. And it's still been a good match. But to me, it was the best match on the card. So if there's one I was gonna, if there's two I was gonna watch, it would probably be you know this one in Kenny Omega match. And if I had to watch a third, I would say probably just on principle the Cody Rhodes versus the Nick Aldis match. If I was watching it just straight for straight wrestling, I'd probably go you know Black Machismo Jay Lethal versus Flip Gordon. Um, but yeah, I, I don't want to wait hold up too long because we still have one more match to talk about, but this was probably my favorite match of the night. It does suck that they took up so much time. Um, but overall, I thought it was a really good match and definitely one worth going back to watch again, which I need to do. Um, and Okada, as always, shows the fuck up, has a good fucking match, and leaves. I think he's already back in New Japan <laughs> like the next day. So He's one of the best, man. He definitely is. I don't know, maybe we'll just keep on talking about this and it kind of will make us not be able to talk about the main event. It'll kind of be fitting, you know? Um, I'm just kidding. Uh, that was a joke. Uh, um, uh But the main event uh, still was a fun match. It, you know, it was in my top five favorite matches. Probably that, then Jay Lethal, then Cody. Then it would probably be Okada. And um, then my favorite was Omega and Pentagon. I just loved Omega was able to take a fast-paced New Japan style to go to counter, you know, Pentagon's luchador. And Okada took a slow pace, more submission, to go against the branded style. That's why those two are the best matches on the fucking card to me. But I love the other ones for what they were tributing with WWF and also uh, and WCW. But this one was your Lucha Libre match. And it was a badass match. Don't get me wrong. It might have been short. 
but they got everything in. It's just they couldn't sell. They couldn't really do that much. And I would have loved to have seen Kota Ibushi tangle it up more with Rey Mysterio because of the reaction of the crowd and Ray Phoenix because I think Kota and Ray Phoenix are two of the most – like what they can do with their body, not many people can do in wrestling, period. I'm, you know, that's just fucking freak shit. But it was the main event, the Golden Elite, Matt Jackson, Nick Jackson, and Kota Ibushi faced Rey Mysterio, Ray Phoenix, and Bandito in a six-man tag team match. Bandito hit Matt Jackson with a backflip backbreaker. Nick Jackson hit Bandito with a super kick. The Young Bucks also super kicked both Phoenix and Rey Mysterio. Then it would end with Ibushi and the Young Bucks performed the more bang than your buck with Ibushi on Bandito for the near fall. In the end, the Young Bucks performed the Melcher driver, of course, on Bandito to win the match. Um, still fucking, if you watch the match, it's fun as hell. And, and some Lucha Libre matches are very short. Uh, so it, it worked for what it was. Um, Chris, what did you think about this tag match? I, you know, I wish it would have gotten the time that it, that it probably deserved because it was a really good match. It was just very, 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 very fast-paced. In a speed that will get criticized by people that are like, well, it was it that fast-paced, especially if they didn't uh, know about the other stuff. But, yeah, there was a couple great spots. I really liked when Mysterio went for the 619 and Matt caught him and gave him a tombstone. Um which was pretty cool, and then they tried to set up the Melter Dragon, uh, the Melter Driver, and Phoenix like walked across the ropes and took out Ibushi. Like there were some really cool spots towards the end. Mysterio hitting the Frog Splash, which was cool. Always cool to see. And then obviously uh, the Melter Driver seemed like a fitting finish for the show, being you know Matt and Nick being so involved, the Elite in general, and uh, and obviously you know Cody Rhodes being. It was nice. It was a nice win for the Young Bucks and, and Kota Ibushi. I do wish this match went a little longer. Uh, obviously, I didn't know, like I said, until today, um, from what you were saying, because I hadn't had a chance to check out Observer and all that stuff. But uh, it makes sense. I think that this, you know, usually a, a, the, this kind of match to me on one of these shows, the Ring of Honor pay-per-views that the Young Bucks have done with say the Hardys of the past or people like these, these big time tag matches usually go 25, 30 minutes. So they probably had a lot more planned, but they were all professional about it. They went out there and did their jobs. And I thought they put on one hell of a match for the time that they were given. And it was a lot of fun. I mean, it was still a fun match to watch. I don't think it's one that you're going to say, this is best, one of the best young bucks matches of all time, or, you know, best Coda match of all time or best Rey Mysterio match of all time or whatever. But uh, it was still fun to watch, and it was a good ending to the show. It would have been nice to get the speeches on. I think that's probably where a lot of the heat Okada and Scroll are getting is that they did have that planned at the end for them to come out and have that moment on camera, and I think that is what got cut out, even though they were rushing as hard as they could to get, get through this thing. So, um, Super kick party at the end. Meltzer driver for the win. It was a, it was a fun match. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I mean, that's the whole thing is that this is a learning process. And I think for a first-time production, on a production standpoint, like Chris said earlier, it was pretty well done. And I know that they had a lot of the people that were involved with both Ring of Honor and New Japan helping them produce a lot of the stuff. And Cody probably naturally, like his dad, knows how to set up shows. Um, He obviously proved that. I think that this is great. They made a ridiculous – they made 50 thousand dollars on um what you call the pay-per-views from what uh jim ross was saying 
Um, and uh, we don't know how much they made for merch sales either from um, – no, 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 that's what it was. It was like half a million dollars for pro wrestling tees what they made. They haven't figured out exactly what they made for the pay-per-views, but it's a ridiculous amount of money. You know, they made some profit. And I think, you know, they alluded to they're going to do another one. And I think that they should do another one. I think that they did a great job with this, a great alternative. And this could really be a celebration yearly, you know, or maybe quarterly, or maybe every, you know, half a year. They do two different events where New Japan and PWG and Ring of Honor and Impact can all meet up. And a lot of the indie guys that we know that, you know, we don't see over in WWE can have a huge stage. And I think they should up the ante. Not go too much, but up the ante uh, next time. And uh, I had a great time watching it. I really enjoyed it. Chris, uh, any closing statements on All In? There was obviously things that I liked more than other things. I thought it was a very fun event. Um, If you haven't seen it, definitely check it out on either – I guess New Japan World or Ring of Honor streaming, I think would be the easiest way to check that stuff out. If you want to talk to me on Twitter, you can hit me at Chris R. Patton on Twitter. Uh, obviously, check out our Facebook, uh, Geek Vibes Nation and uh, Geek Vibes Live, all of that good stuff. I'm sure Dane will hit it back up. But uh, everyone have a great week, man. And uh, I really enjoyed the pay-per-view. And hopefully everyone out there is enjoying wrestling as well. Yep, great night to be a wrestling fan talking about wrestling and just a great time in general to be a wrestling fan. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. Like I said, check us out, Geek Vibes Nation, on Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook. If you want to check out our websites, gvnation.com. And just check us out for the greatest breakdown and information. And, uh, you know, professional wrestling, geekdom, anything that you like, pretty much we're into it. So check us out. Hope you guys have a great night. And I'm going to end it with a a song that I definitely liked at the pay-per-view. You guys have a good one. Thank you guys. Peace. And let the geek vibes be with you.